Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Anthropological. Uh, why is it special? Because this time we are interviewing the artistic director of Iconic and the conductor of Sarah Symphony, which is a amazing Sailor Moon Symphony, uh, Bobby Lee Crow. Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Uh, as we talked a little bit before we started recording, it is it is finally some nice weather here in Canada. <laughs> oh, it's so lucky because, you know, the United States is still burning hot. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully there's a little bit of a break from the weather. Um, yeah. Just to get us started, um, I was wondering, Bobby, how did how did you get into Sailor Moon? Like you're the conductor of Sarah Symphony, I assume, mm-hmm. perhaps incorrectly, yes. that you you were interested in Sailor Moon. What got you into Sailor Moon? <laughs> well, it's actually from a very young age. I grew up in the very first dub generation with Terry Hawks and Deke and Entertainment. Uh, so I was in middle school, no, in middle school, elementary school. Uh, on my way, I know on my way, uh, I just woken up getting ready to go to, I want to say third or fourth grade. <laughs> and, um, I turned on the television and the first episode that I found out that I saw was Sailor V makes the scene. And it was like the very end part, uh, when Malachite was attacking the Sailor Scouts and, uh, there was like all this action happening. I'd never seen the show before, and I was very intrigued, almost missed the bus, because I was like, what is happening in this TV show? Uh, and then going to school, I was able to ask people just to sort of describe the show, and was like, you know, have you ever heard of this? Do you know what this is? And people were like, oh yeah, it's this really fun cartoon thing, it's called Sailor Moon. So then I went back home and did some research on it, and just kind of fell in love with it, not only for the storyline and the action and the colors, but for the music as well, because at that time I hadn't started playing any instruments, but I was definitely musically inclined and was, even with the Deke music, I was super inspired to just find out more about the series. Interesting. I mean, you must have been drawn in quite a bit because uh, you you mentioned the specific name of the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I don't know why that, that just always sticks in my head. That very big scene is probably the one of the big reasons that Sailor Venus is my favorite character from the show. Uh, because her entrance in that episode is so epic and, you know, it ends on a cliffhanger. Is she, is she or is she not the princess? Even though I didn't know what that was at the time, but <laughs> it was just a really impactful story. And it definitely made me want to learn more and got me totally interested in anime and video games and everything from there. Right. And actually, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I was reading over the iconic, your, your biography on the iconic website. And mm-hmm. it said that you wrote an essay on Sailor Mercury and it got you into college. It did. did. Yeah. What was, what uh, was that about? It didn't get me into my first college, I'll tell you that. But it did get me <laughs> into my second one. Um, when I turned 10, uh, we got our first computer. And then I told myself at the time I didn't want to just use it for playing games and surfing the web. I wanted to do something functional. So with my love of Sailor Moon, I started to create one of those Sailor Moon shrines, as we called it back in the day. Uh, and the first one was the Sailor Mercury, because at that time, I was really into her. We were both smart. I was a water sign, blah, blah, blah. She had short hair. I had no hair. I was really good. You know, we were like sisters. And then I created the website and just sort of analyzed her personality and her attacks and everything. 
And it kind of got a little popular. Uh, and then I just kept it up from, I was what, middle school? No, 10, 10, like, like elementary school through high school. And then when it was time to submit for college, uh, I was like, well, let me just put in, let me just try to do something different. I mean, I haven't had any real big struggles that I could talk about. So let me just talk about how much of a geek I am and use one of my character analyses of Sailor Mercury as my uh, essay for submission. I've never really heard any comments from anybody <laughs> about it, but I do know the first school I submitted to did not accept me. And I don't, I think it may have been because of that. I don't think it's because of my grades. I hope not. But the second school was like, yeah, sure, whatever, just come on in. So I guess they liked how weird I was or something. I mean, everybody has those kinds of hobbies and, and interests that, you know, we're a little bit embarrassed about or not even embarrassed just like it it takes a little bit amount of vulnerability to put that out there so i think that's actually really encouraging that you're like you know what i'm going to do this for my college application (laughs) it's shocking to me because to think like back in that day having a, a shrine website to a character was i mean there were actually quite a number of them but they weren't really in depth but now with the onset of youtube there are so many people out there analyzing cartoons and TV shows and theorizing and becoming so popular, just talking about their opinions and finding other people who thought the same thing or have always had those questions. So I I like to think that I was part of that very early group of fans who were trying to express their opinion and get deeper into the fandom, uh, which I think hopefully inspired the YouTubers that are on today. But that's just me being a little selfish. We, We can all dream, right? Oh, yes, we can. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You mentioned growing up in that that time where shrines were fairly common. People were starting to build up that early, the first wave of of fandom. I remember that was a time of like guest books and people would like sign your guest book. And it's like, oh, (laughs) did you you see the thing that I posted? It's kind of like a very, very early precursor to to Facebook or or something to that effect. Uh, What was I, I guess a different question would be, what was the community like at that time? Were you just putting your shrine out there and it it just it was there in the world or was there more to it than that? No, I, I think that was about it. Um, it was a great way to talk to people online about your um, interest. At that time, I think it was a great way to talk to people who weren't in your inner circle about what you were interested in. Cause a lot of times people who liked anime or sci-fi were not really seen as well in schools and in the community and the living like IRL life. Um, so it was kind of a good way to find like-minded individuals. I know I maybe joined a couple of, oh, I want to call I think they were called link rings. Web rings? Where it was like a, yes, there it is. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm apparently just... an old man is, is where this is going. <laughs> oh my gosh. The fact that you know that is terrible. Um, <laughs> the, the interconnectivity of different websites. And then I did sign a couple guest books had people who left comments on my website or wanted to refute something that I had said. And it was like, it was a good discourse. You know, I think that sort of led in to finding forums uh, where you got deeper into communicating about anime and then sort of got recommendations to watch different kinds of shows from there. Um, So I, I think the community was actually pretty much the same, perhaps not as big a lot of people didn't show their faces because it was the internet, the early days of the internet. Um, 
but I wouldn't say the idea of um, shrines and forums and web rings, it's still prevalent today. It's just a lot more video oriented and podcasty uh, rather than people who create, you know, full length websites like Wikipedia pages dedicated to certain shows. When I first did Sarah Symphony in 2013, I believe, um, after the initial five videos, we did uh, interviews with some of the owners of the very early shrines um, and some of the most more popular Sailor Moon sites that are still in existence, uh, like Miss Stream, Sailor Music, uh, Hitoshi Doi's Sailor Moon page. I don't know if you know that one. That's a that's an old school reference. Um, I think, and I think that one is still alive and kicking, but it's like, I mean, if you saw his website, it was very bare kind of HTML (laughs) and he hasn't updated it in 20 years, but talking to them, you know, 20 years later from what, 1998, that's not really 20 years, um, almost 20 years later, um, was fascinating because they had sort of the same ideas that I did. They wanted to find out more information about Sailor Moon. So they said what they knew first, did some research, found connections with people online who gave them more information. They were able to watch, you know, the different versions of Sailor Moon around the world. And they were like, yeah, it just sort of cemented their love of the show and anime and helped them express themselves, uh, which I think is Super great, safe way of doing that uh, online. So it's, I know we have some of those interviews still on our YouTube page, I think. But that was probably the funnest thing I've done. Well, the most, uh, I shouldn't say funnest, the most informative part of doing these tributes and conducting the orchestra is talking with the fans and learning how they all fell in love with the shows and connected with each other. It's really interesting too, because now is so much easier to connect. Like there were forums, but, but now, as you mentioned, you can, you can start your own YouTube channel and dissect the intricacies of, you know, what does the color theory mean in this particular episode? Like you can do that. There's, there's an audience <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, yeah. But also like you mentioned with Sarah, Sarah symphony, people can come out to that and it's not, those kinds of things are are getting to be a lot more common, not just for Sailor Moon, but for other fandoms. You've got like video games live, you've got uh, yeah. Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got Sarah Symphony. You've got um, whoa, whoa, there's another one that Iconic does, uh, Sakura. Oh, the Sakura Symphony. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah, it's I I love the way um, sort of anime and sci-fi and fantasy is becoming mainstream. It's like all this pent up information and energy we've had locked up for so long. And because we were scared of being made fun of, you know, we're now able to express it in such creative ways. And I think that's great. It's really, it's really making some much better products that come out of anime and the fantasy genre in general. And I think it's connecting um, producers and publishers and writers with their fans in a way like never before. I was thinking about the scope of that question. It's like, yes, absolutely. There are all sorts of different ways, like new and different ways that weren't definitely weren't possible. Yeah. Uh, thinking about any convention, it's like, oh, I can just meet this person and, and maybe even like have 
some sort of a relationship with them. Whereas 20 years ago, you might meet them at a convention and yeah. then, I don't know, get lucky and get a phone number, fax number. Yeah. <laughs> that you had to write down and remember. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Couldn't just whip out your phone and like, I'll take a picture of this for, for later. Um, I was going to ask, so you became a cellist, but I don't know of any Sailor Scouts that play the cello. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I guess Neptune kind of did in that one picture, but it was just like a really big violin. Um, I got interested in cello because this is actually a, a dumb story. But as I was signing up in sixth grade for orchestra, I did want to play violin. And um, looking at the sign-up list, you know, it was about 20 violinists already signed up. And there was one girl who was my friend who was signed up for cello. She was the only person signed up. And I was like, well, I don't want to leave her by herself. That's, you know, that's kind of sad because we're going to have like a, a billion violinists. I don't like some of these people in the violin section. So, you know, me and her are friends. Let me just sign my name and I'll play violin later. You know, whatever. And I mean, eventually I did, but I'm kind of really glad I chose cello because it's just so much more um, versatile in what I can do and the kind of music that people are interested in using cello with currently. Uh, Like I've done so many rock and jazz and pop and recording shows and musical theater too, because people like the sound of the cello because it's the range is very versatile, uh, and the sound is more singing-like. Um, I'm, I'm glad. You know, I did learn eventually learn to play violin, and I did some jazz music with that. But you know, after a while, I was like, "This is this is a lot of notes to play," <laughs> and I don't know if I want to keep doing this. So <laughs> that was that was kind of a good realization. You said that that was a dumb story, but I think that's actually that we're really. Touching story. It's a lot. It's a lot more interesting than it was the only instrument that was available. So I, I picked the cello. <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah, I, I have. I had a kind heart at that time. We talked a bunch about how you kind of got into being a, a fan of Sailor Moon and how that sparked many mm-hmm. other interests that you've had throughout your life. How do you yeah. kind of maintain that interest outside of the the Sailor Symphony, outside of Iconic? Well, I do. I try to keep up with all the latest releases and uh, watch the most popular shows that come out. Not only to, which I like to call them with, when I had a roommate, she was always like, why do you keep watching cartoons all the time? Like, it's research, it's research. Come on. Like, I'm, clearly I'm doing it so I can see how the music works with the thing as I'm laying my bed wrapped up, you know, with ice cream and about a bottle of wine watching, binge watching 13 episodes straight. But it was all for research, for work. And, um, so yeah, I, I definitely try to keep up to date because uh, there's always new music that's coming out uh, and new shows that are really affecting people in a great way. Uh, and you can definitely see how the older shows have influenced the newer works. And um, I love seeing that. I love seeing what I like about anime uh, in the different genres pop out. Um and I haven't really gone to too many conventions. I never really did that when I was younger. But now with the group, you know, we do at least at least try to research on going to conventions and uh, trying to see if we can have a booth and meet people face to face outside of the concert hall. Because it's always fascinating and eye opening, 
not only for me, but for the people in my orchestra and on the board who are not really uh, so much a part of the anime fandom to, to kind of see what our audience is like. And they're always surprised. They're like, wow, these people know their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they they are coming in here and arguing about this character and, you know, how accurate this cosplay is and what happened in episode 73 of season four. And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> welcome to my world. All those things you made fun of me for, like, you're the out men out. So. Oh, my goodness. What uh, what's the most eye opening thing that you've you've seen or heard in, in that situation? Uh. I'm putting you on I mean, the spot, I know. <laughs> you always do this. Um, I guess the eye-opening thing, this is actually in a bad way. Uh, we, at my very first convention, which I believe was Liberty City Anime Con here in New York, um, we had a booth and I was passing out flyers and trying to convince people to come to our table. And I remember I was, uh, I talked to some random cosplayer and said, you know, hi, how are you? Do you like anime music? The guy just said, nope, don't care, and walked away. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, well, <laughs> that was that was uh, very disheartening. I know I probably should have said, you know, why? Uh, eventually, I mean, he did come back eventually and was like, uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't really care so much about the openings and endings and the background music. I'm more about the characters. I was like, okay, that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. I was like, but, you know, would you like to just listen to one of our videos and, and watch this a little bit? So that that was probably the, the most striking thing to me, because coming from the music world, you know, when you meet other people, uh, you tend to assume that other people like music, you know, no matter what genre it is. Um, but yeah, I, I guess there's still people out there who don't really care that much for music. And it, it did inspire me and sort of continues to inspire me to say, you know what, I'm going to convince that person, everyone like him, to give it a try. You know, that's sort of our goal is to turn them over and to be like, you know what, music is actually the best part of anime. That's That would be the dream for the whole world to say that, but we can only try. Yeah, that That's true. I feel like the music is often understated in a lot of, of anime. Like there's so much action going on and it's mm-hmm. not that the music isn't there. It's just that it, it's so integrated into the everything else that yeah. some people just don't notice it. Oh yeah. You it, you can definitely miss uh, a number of important ways that music helps shape the narrative. I, I, when I do my talkbacks and uh, musical analyses, analyses, yes, analyses at conventions, I always like to mention that music is basically a character in the story. It's either the narrator or another sort of supporting character for all the rest of the characters. You can have a, you can't have a great show that has terrible music, but you can have good music with a terrible show. And I think to me, that goes to show how music can elevate uh, a show and how it really is supposed to stand out from, um, stand out, but also, support what's going on in the program um trying to think of a really good example it it, it's kind of based on the composer whoever is writing it their experience their um training and what kind of music that they usually write for 
Speaking of Sailor Moon, you know, there's a lot of comparisons drawn between the original composer, Takanori Arisawa, and the current Sailor Moon Crystal composer, Yasuharu Takanashi. And they're very different styles. Uh, clearly, uh, Takanashi is inspired by what Arisawa did in using female voices, um, but he doesn't quite have the same touch or the same uh, idea uh, concept for scoring the work. Um, and it's a combination of many things. Uh, this was actually a question someone asked me in a convention, you know, which one I liked more. And of course I like the nineties better, but because <laughs> it does use real life players. Um, it has a consistent voice and there's all these very film classical techniques in there, but I can't fault a modern day composer for writing the way that they do because the process of scoring for TV, film, video games has completely changed uh, in the last 20 years. People don't want to spend $50,000 hiring live musicians. So you're, you're caught doing your own music, using Sibelius and Finale, Logic and Pro Tools and samples to create an orchestral sounding score and you have to deliver it much more quickly because, you know, they know they can go to someone down the street who can make them a 30 minute episode in like five minutes. So you have to be able to deliver. And I, I do think that does make the music and some of the um, musicality of anime suffer, which is why not some, not too many background musics, uh, background soundtracks are that popular. It really takes, you know, um, a property and a work that already in itself has a right audience, like My Hero Academia. You know, though, that has a good appeal, good story. It's like the new Naruto, new um, it's, it's Bleach the, kind of. It's the popular shonen show of the day. And it, it, it's good. Yeah. I don't mean to knock uh, shonen shows, but it's like that. that is definitely what it is. Yeah. And, and you can you can tell that when it came out. It was set in a school. You have different powers. You have levels, categories of like who's the best, the ranking system. I mean, it has everything that you could want in a shonen show. But what sets that apart and makes it very successful, impactful versus, let's say, Black Clover, which has the same ideas, the same, it hits, checks all the same points. I would say, oh, it's not only the voice acting, but it's also <laughs> the the music. You know, Yuki Hayashi has really, is an experienced composer and has really worked in the shonen genre. So he knows how to utilize the instruments uh, for the most impact. I mean, You Say Run is, I think, our second popular video on our YouTube page. And I don't I did not think that people would even know what that song was. But it's probably the the most popular instrumental song that of new anime that I've come across, which is quite shocking. Uh, but then I think of Black Clover, and I, I you know I couldn't hum for you one single <laughs> musical line to that show at all. So it's 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 tough, you know. And I support. I try to support both the classic composers and the modern day composers. Because uh, I like showing people how we've quote unquote progressed, but uh, but really how music has changed, and how you should just still give it a, a try. You know, uh, it's it's hard convincing 
I want to say elitist. It's hard convincing other musicians to listen to anime and video game scores. Uh, the new ones, because they're like, oh, it's not as good as the old stuff. I'm like, well, you know, let's let's talk about why that is. I, I feel like there's a little bit of, of economics to it as well, because if we're talking oh, yeah. about classic Sailor Moon as an example, you know, you would get someone to score the show and they might use the same pieces over 52 episodes. But now yeah, it's, it's like 13 episodes for one season. So that whatever music you make has to be really impactful because you might only hear it once. Oh yeah. It's, it's quite surprising because looking at the original soundtracks between the nineties and now, I mean, they, they really treat them like film scores today. There's like a 22 disc, 20 song, 30 song, you know, soundtrack to some 2010 anime versus like this 60 minute <laughs> OST to like Sailor Moon, the whole season of Sailor Moon R. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, that's, that's a weird. <laughs> and even though the, the shorter soundtrack or the one that has less track names has a lot more intricacies than maybe the modern anime does. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about economics. I mean, once people figured out that you can make music on your own in your own home, they were like, this is how music's going to be made unless you are already an established, high quality, well-known composer. We're not going to give you that much money to um, score anything. <laughs> like, here's, here's $5,000, go at it. I feel like this might be getting a little bit personal. <laughs> maybe, maybe bringing up some old wounds. Well, okay. Now I'm not really a composer. Uh, I have tried it. I've certainly delved into it, but since I'm not a, uh, a band instrument player or a pianist, you know, it takes me a lot longer to compose something for someone, um, which frustrates a lot of people <laughs> because <laughs> You know, uh, I was like, don't come and interrupt me. Like, I need a good week to make this one theme because I have to make sure the theme represents the character. And and if it goes high, that means it's like the height of the hair. I, I analyze the music too much. And I, I have spoken to a number of film directors and uh, producers, and, you know, they don't have time for that. They need someone who can just push one out as quickly as possible because it's all about budgeting. And then when I tell them, hey, you know, I need I need two harps and three guitars and, and four clarinets, they're like, uh, okay, no. <laughs> we'll use a synth, some drums, and like maybe uh, some ooh-ah vocals. I wouldn't say I'm bitter. No. Uh, I just, I, as a player, as a string player, it is sad to see um, live music, live scored music sort of dwindling and only reserved for the top tier, super high budget productions. So I, you know, I wish we'd go back to that a little bit, but I know why we can't. That's fair. Maybe we can move from sad to glad. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep asking the hard questions because that ha that's just how this works. Oh, man. I mean, maybe it'll be okay. really easy and, uh, and <laughs> you, you know, who knows? Uh, you talked a bit about having a hard time deciding which of your, which of the two composers from the nineties composer and from the one from Sailor Moon Crystal, but mm -hmm. maybe not talking about composers, but talking about pieces. Is there a particular piece of Sailor Moon music that sticks out to you as one of your favorites? Uh, it's still Pegasus from the uh, Sailor Moon Supers 
which I used to always say it called Super S, but I guess it's called Supers. I, Super S is better to me. Um, it's the theme for Pegasus in the fourth season of the anime, but it's also used in a minor way as the theme for the Dead Moon. Oh. And it's, yeah, people don't know that. So they slow, he slowed it down, he changed the mode, and it creates an evil sound. But, and it's also used as Nehalenia's theme uh, towards the end, and which is actually the music from Badianu in the Super S movie. See, there's, there's all these connective tissues. Um, so it's fascinating. And to me, that entire season's score is full of things like that, where you, where, Arisawa has listened to the storyline and has like drawn comparisons between this new friend or foe, which is Pegasus, and connected him to the new enemy Dead Moon, which then, if they're connected, that means they're connected to Sailor Moon too. I mean, there's just all these connective lines and tissues that really bring the soundtrack home and I think it's what helps stays in my mind uh, as one of the best from the 90s anime. I know a lot of people love the third season score, uh, I think because it was a lot more orchestral. And it did feature, you know, a banging violin solo. Um, but I, I think it was just, it was like the beginning of his best work. Um, but it, it's not, it's not like complete. Uh, it was just like, Okay, we're like we're really getting there. It's like eighty percent there. Then I think, cons- um, cohesively, the fourth season soundtrack I love. But I would say his supremely best music that he wrote for it was that um, Sailor Stars, the very opening. Is it what eight episodes with Nehalenia returns? Like all that music, stunning, great. Wonderful, tear jerking. I mean, it sticks with you. It's so sad and evil, but yet heartbreaking. I mean, it's, it was every time I watched like those couple of episodes, I'm like, where was this during the fourth season in terms of like the animation and the story? Like, this is, this is, this is tragic. I mean, seeing the, the sailor senshi, as I call them, I'm not gonna call them guardians. I don't like that. Uh, seeing the, <laughs> seeing the sailor senshi, you know, really lose to someone who feels like she is should be the one in charge is is kind of kind of shocking because we didn't really get that from other seasons you know they were always after the silver crystal or whatever but like this was the first time someone was like you know what i just don't like you <laughs> i'm going to take everything away from you and you can just hear her sadness and feel her turmoil through the music and it just it comes in and out, and then Eternal Sailor Moon's theme uh, is sort of a reference to that. I mean, there's just it is like the pinnacle of music from the '90s anime. That that makes me think. Have you seen any of the Sailor Moon musicals? Okay, see now now we got to talk. about Oh, okay. This I, like if this is if this is another source <laughs> file, we can talk. I've on, only seen the the movement, like the final movement. Yeah, uh, I really oh the, in theaters. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, I my favorite part of Sailor Moon are the musicals, uh, which I discovered during oh, it must have been must have been late middle school, early high school. So they were doing um, sort of the fourth, what they call the fourth stage of musicals with um, 
Marina Moon, uh, and I think maybe Miyuki Moon was right before her. I think that was my time too. Um, but there was there was sort of revamping what they had done earlier to make it more like the manga. But those early musicals with Anza uh, had some fantastic songs. I mean, uh, as a string player and someone who's done a lot of musicals, it totally reminded me of the golden age scores of Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, Rodgers and Hart, uh, Lerner and Lowe. It just had such depth. And I, I was shocked that they spent this much money to record pretty, to usually and pretty much record a live orchestra uh, backing and then re-record the vocals on top of that. It was, I do hate that these live musicals don't have a live pit. Uh, but I understand that, you know, Japan has a different idea of what their musical production should be like. Uh, so I don't fault them for that. But I, I think the quality of music and songwriting has changed between um, the old 90s and 2000s musicals and the ones today. Uh, while I love to see that the musicals are making a big comeback and coming to the States you know, uh, being viewed by a number of people so they can love it. I don't necessarily think that the performances or the song choices um, are really that great. I mean, there's maybe a couple songs that poke out, but, you know, a lot of these singers uh, are not well-trained in the classical style. <laughs> so some of the singing is a little little tough to, to listen through. And um, the melodies are not as rememberable, rememberable, not as memorable as I'm used to from the early stages. Uh, and I think that just comes with the the people who are writing the music and the lyrics uh, have changed over the years. Um, and it's it's unfortunate. You know, I think one of my big dreams for Seattle Symphony is to actually put on a live production of one of the old musicals here in New York, oh. you know, in like the Broadway style with a live orchestra that I would conduct, of course, and, um, you know, have it on some big stage, have a nice, what, two-month run and call it a day. Um, that, that was actually really the initial plan for Santa Symphony, but I ain't got no money. So <laughs> it's not going to happen anytime soon. Well, I, I mean, in many ways, you've, you've made steps to put yourself on that lofty journey. Like, uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken... When Sarah Symphony visited the Salem Rin celebration last year in 2017, was mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer Sihi the singing voice of the English singing voice of Sailor Moon? Was she not performing alongside? She was, yes. Yeah, and um, I was reading that Sandy Howell, the the voice of Sailor Mars, had also performed with Sarah Symphony. Yeah, we did that in LA. Uh, we actually invited five five of the peep the music team from uh, the Deke Dub. Sandy Howell, Jennifer Sihi, and then the writers, um, Lois Blaish, who did Rangi Day Man, um, Michael Bengiot, who did My Only Love, Power Love. I mean, he basically wrote everything. And uh, John Miyagi Arthur, who also secondarily wrote everything. Sorry, I, I got chills when you said that for a second. I was like, oh my God, you get to work <laughs> with those people? That is amazing. I remember playing Rangi Day Man. I know. Oh, it was, it was. As a geek, too, and, like, as a big Sailor Moon fan, like, I had to tell them all. I was like, I'm so sorry. I know I'm, I know I'm supposed to be professional, but, like, I'm jumping up and down. Because I used to sing these songs by myself in my bedroom, you know, with a full moon in the sky with my window open and stuff like that. Like, the, I used to remember this music 
for the longest time. And to actually meet uh, the people behind it, the singers and the songwriters was very inspiring as a musician and as a fan. And what was great to hear from them is they were so shocked that people were so affected by their works. Because uh, really in their mind, which I don't completely understand, um, when they got the call to, you know, write the music and sing, it was like, oh, this is, you know, gig number four and this week. So let me just go into the studio, do my little thing, record, sing, sing, sing blah, 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 right. Let me go on to the next performance from there. Like they didn't even think anything about it. They didn't really know how big Sailor Moon was in Japan. So it was just like, oh, okay, you know, I need my paycheck, so I'll just do it. So for them to see like how people are reacting to their music, that, you know, some orchestra has decided to expand their MIDI uh, soundtracks and songs to be performed live, and they get a chance to perform it live in front of fans. I mean, they were pleasantly surprised. They were so happy. And I think they all wanted to do it again. So I hopefully I I'm would love to bring them all up to Canada and maybe here to New York, just to have another way for people to meet and greet them and to show their love for that very first dub, which I think still lies within all of our hearts. I can definitely remember some some meatball heads going on going on right now. <laughs> Oh, well, like as you said, though, right now you ain't got no money, so yeah. So it's someday. it's tough. Someday, someday. You've also had the opportunity to work with some other important people in the anime industry. I was taking a look at mm-hmm. the biography for Iconic, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it mentioned some pretty high profile folks as well, like uh, Taku Iwasaki, who I remember mm-hmm. mostly for the amazing Reader Die soundtrack. Yes. Uh, what is it like being a fan of of anime, uh, of Sailor Moon and, and many other different anime, and getting to work with those people? Well, um, it's I'm I'm almost start. I actually I, I am quite starstruck when he came over because um, we were doing Soul Jam, a sort of concert dedicated to his works for anime, and I didn't know he was coming. You know. He, we tried to email him, but he never got back. I guess we used the wrong email. Um, and then he reached out like maybe a week before and was like, Hey, can I, can I come attend? And that was just like, um, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on in. Like, whatever. Um, so he too was surprised that people in America like his music for anime, care about anime music, like the background stuff and recognize his pieces. Um, and for me to talk to him, it was so nice to listen to his story about how he got started in music and how he composes his works, because he's definitely one of my favorite composers of the genre, because I think he does an excellent job of mixing classical es- instruments with this technolo- uh, technological techno um, beat in uh, of the modern age. It, he's a really good, not collaborator, what's the word? Uh, he does really good mixing of genres within his works, and it's and he he definitely creates some meaningful melodies and powerful soundtracks. I mean, I'm I'm shocked that he is not more popular because uh, I think he deserves a more um, recognition for his works, and that's kind of one of the reasons we did the concert with him. And then um, we also did worked with Lotus Juice, 
who is a frequent collaborator with Taku Iwasaki. Uh, and he was super fun. I mean, he actually grew up here in, I think in New Jersey or something like that. Um, so he was, yeah, I know. <laughs> so he was able to talk a little bit about his experiences growing up and, um, being in this area and then being a rapper in Japan and how that, um, how different rap is between Japan and America. And he, he actually does a lot of touring of the States, going to conventions and, uh, performing his works for a lot of anime fans. And I think he was up in Canada at some point, maybe like last year or two. But, um, yeah, it was just, it was so cool to act, to talk to these people who, whose names you've heard of and music and works you've listened to, but you've never seen their faces and they're just, they're just cool, cool dudes. <laughs> it's it's very like that New York attitude. You know, we, we see a lot of celebrities and movie stars over here. And, you know, you're on the train. You're like, oh, hey, like, can you move? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not really a, a a shocking, like, you don't stop and try to get their autograph. I mean, maybe if they're super famous, but after a while, you're sort of. Like, oh, uh, here's some other A-list movie star, like whatever. Oh my! But the, but since I knew these people, it was much was much better than that. <laughs> I'm just picturing in my head now. It's like you're sitting on a train, and like Taku Iwasaki comes onto the train. It's like, oh my god, you're Taku Iwasaki. Could you get out of my spot, please? <laughs> I'm glad I know your name. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I, and I would be the only person who would know, recognize them too. Everyone was who's like who's Taku Iwasaki? That's not a person. <laughs> um, and I mean, there's there's so many composers I would love to bring over, do works, uh, do concerts of their works, and really show them like the love that people have for their music. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Joe Hisashi, who does the Studio Ghibli music, most of them, um, he actually is starting to produce his big concert uh here in the states he just did it in um san jose i think maybe uh where he came over he performed with an orchestra he did it they did like three nights and he conducted he played piano and it was like a fully sold out event and people loved it so much and um, i would love to do that more with composers who maybe don't have as far of a reach um Especially the the women composers like Michiru Oshima and uh, Yoko Kano and uh, Yuki Kajiura, you know, I I think they they don't give it, get as much recognition uh, in Japan and America. So it'd be nice to have them come and present their music in the way that I feel it should be. So you've had the opportunity. You, as part of Iconic, you've conducted and I believe participated in the Sarah Symphony. There's the Sakura Symphony. What is the next big fan concert that you would love to do if if you could afford it? Oh, well, um, you know, I would love to do a One Piece concert because I think out of all the currently running anime, it's probably the one that still sticks the closest to that classic 80s, 90s sound. You know, uh, most of the new music that comes out is still scored with live instruments. And I mean, those two composers have really crafted a very impressive and effective score for such a long running show. I mean, there are so many arcs in one piece, even though I'm not a big fan of the art, how it's drawn and how it's animated, 
But I will watch, you know, every single, I actually watched every single episode because I'm just waiting to hear whose new theme, like what's the new theme going to be for this character. And it really made um, so many of the epic shonen moments um, affect me in, in such a way. I mean, when, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but that crocodile arc, oh man, <laughs> man, Skypea, and then Impel Down, I'm like, I, I can't with this. This is great. This is fantastic. So, I mean, I would love to bring that over. I know they've done it before in France, um, but I, I kind of want to do that here. I think we can do it with a slightly larger ensemble and and really showcase sort of the modern, the cross, the only show continuously running from the classic era to the modern anime era that's really going to hit a lot of people. And then, um, is there anything else? Uh, we did also do, uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena, which is probably not as popular, uh, between our three big tributes. Um, I, I love the music. Uh, I wasn't really a huge fan of the show, but I definitely thought the music was super top notch. Um, and I was, it was actually a joy to put that together. Um, what else could there be? Is there anything, anything? But that might, might be the two that just pop into my head. I mean, there's plenty of other shows that are reaching their 20th anniversary and 25th, 30th. Um, I think a Chrono Trigger concert to sort of get off of anime a bit, oh but uh, God, yes. would be fantastic, you know, because there's so many people who love that. But um, I know there's like a lot of sort of back, back in drama with Chrono Trigger that might make that difficult, but that would be a dream come true. You would not be the first to do a fan chrono trigger symphonic arrangement kind of yeah. situation but hey i'm oh, i'm yeah. all in favor of lots of chrono trigger music yeah but i mean that that guy who did it the one that's online i mean he didn't use any live players so oh the something synthetic orchestra yeah it's synthetic for a reason uh, it's yeah all samples <laughs> so I, I heard it i was like okay there are some pretty good arrangements in here but and i know you did i know he didn't have you know enough money to hire folks but he is making money from these midi samples and i'm like oh that's i guess that's fine it's okay is there a particular person that you would want to collaborate with uh, either uh this is a increasingly meaningless distinction but i'm going to say it anyway because it might help <laughs> make the question more clear like whether that be somebody who's uh famous like taku mm-hmm. osaki who you've already worked with or like someone who's just like a super popular fan. And in that uh, circle, I'm thinking of like, there's artists like Amelie and, um, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of my Spotify playlist, but that's not important. Are there other people that you'd like to collaborate with in these different fan works that you haven't had the opportunity to work with yet? Uh, actually. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I would love to do something with Lindsay Sterling uh, and Taylor Davis. Um, then there's, there's two, those two piano guys who like just do anime theme songs and just show their hands on the piano. I, mean, I think they're like the, these are the, the is there or something like that. Um, the, all these others sort of fan music, anime geek musicians online. I think it would be great to put our forces together and uh, showcase our love of the works. Um, in terms of industry people, you know, everyone's been telling me to do something with Steven universe 
uh, which I, I was, I didn't know was such a, a reaching, an anime reaching cartoon, American cartoon. But then after watching you know, a few episodes, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I totally get it. And I, I think it has a great story. I think a lot, the songs are wonderful. That actually might be a, a good concert. I would love to work with those singers because most of those, um, uh, most of them, some of the voice actors are uh, actually professionally trained singers. So that would be great because then we, they can bring their knowledge and history uh, with our orchestra. Um, I mean, I would love to do a Joe Hisashi thing too. Uh, who else do I love? Chiru Oshima. Um, you know, there's the guy who does the music for Natsume Book of Friends. I think his name is Makoto Yoshimori or something like that. Um, he, he writes some beautiful stuff. So, I mean, there, there's so many, there's so many <laughs> composers and people out there. Um, I don't know if I would, I might would work with a few singers. Uh, I'd have to see, you know, I, I really don't listen to, this is kind of ironic, but I'm, <laughs> I don't listen to too much anime songs, uh, like the openings and endings. I, I find it to be a little bit too pop formulaic, which, you know, it needs to be because, they want to make money and it's where they make their most money when it comes to uh, music and anime. Um, and I know a lot of people love those songs, but uh, I think it's, it's not as important because a lot of times the openings and endings have nothing to do with the actual score of a show. So they're really just there to catch your eye and make sure you don't forget to tune in next week. But you know, there's only a, I'm going to say maybe like 40% of shows incorporate the opening theme, uh, maybe like 60%, incorporate the opening theme into the music somehow. It's it's kind of rare, so I'm not a huge fan of that. But yeah, there, there's this long list of people. I have, I have it written down somewhere when I make $2 billion, but you know, that's the future. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I'm not laughing about the making money. I'm laughing about like, it's, it's not like, you know, once I make 100000 like two billion it's a very specific number <laughs> got it all planned out i i've misunder i've underestimated your plans <laughs> oh yeah i love making plans i tell my board my board is like bobby you can make as many plans as you want they're never gonna happen but you can write down every single thing you want to do to your heart's content i'm like okay okay you'd mentioned earlier that you weren't like picked on per se but there were definitely moments where you're like, you know, you were the nerdy kid and you mm -hmm. like watch Sailor Moon. And now today things are very different in terms of fandom. Um, yeah. What advice would you have for a fan of today, either in general or in terms of getting into Sailor Moon fandom? Um, well, I would say certainly start with the 90s of Sailor Moon. <laughs> um, I think Sailor Moon Crystal, while it's closer to the source material, the source material is maybe not the best thing in the world. You know, so um, what made the, the 90s anime so great and 90s anime in general so great, I believe is because of the filler and because they really expanded upon a story that was already there. They talked about characters more in depth because they had the, the time to do that as the, the artist was creating the rest of the chapters. And you have some fantastic music that's really going to change your opinion on what these shows are. 
Uh, if you currently love anime, sci-fi, fantasy, keep loving it. You know, go to the conventions, buy the official materials or licensed materials, because um, you will always meet like-minded individuals or people who want to argue. I know some people like that uh, about, you know, which show is better, which character is better. There's nothing more uh, satisfying than meeting other people who also love what you love. Uh, I remember when um, the very first Sailor Moon Day here in New York, I think it was the very first one, um, it was a big gathering uh, and they had a Sailor Moon, everyone can come and cosplay and they had a Sailor Moon like trivia, uh, Jeopardy thing. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to win. I'm totally going to, I know all these questions. I'm going to steal, I'm going to get all the prizes. I didn't even, I didn't even get past like the third question. And there were so many people and all these people knew every single minute detail, what happened on page 43 of the manga, which voice actor doubled as somebody else. I'm like, y'all, this is a little much. Like, I thought I knew <laughs> everything there is to know about Sailor Moon. No, 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 no. And I made a lot of good friends there. A lot of other people who I still talk to, that was what, what five, six years ago? We talked to now just about current anime or Sailor Moon in general. So you're always going to find people out there who like what you like. Don't don't be discouraged. You know, still use the internet. I know people love uh, being on the Crunchyroll forums, um, Reddit. I think 4chan has an anime section. They probably do. They most likely do. Uh, but talking to those people online, I think, is a great outlet for a lot of folks who maybe don't have a large convention in their city or aren't able to go to conventions. Um and yeah, keep watching. I mean, we're in a great time for anime fans in that we do have streaming from so many different platforms in so many different countries. There's American companies that are producing new anime. Um, there are all these video game concerts that are happening around the world. It's, it's really everything that used to be hidden in the shadows is coming out to the light and being pushed to the mainstream. And it's only going to... Well, actually, and hopefully we'll make everything better, but it's going to make everything so much more accessible. Um, so, yeah, just I, I go out there and just say bye, bye, bye. <laughs> That's B-U-Y. B-U-Y. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me today, Bobby. Um, is there anything that you would like to tell any listeners about today? Sure. Uh, well, Iconic is moving into its fifth anniversary season. Uh, we've been doing these videos and concerts for since 2014 officially, I would say. Um, so, you know, please check out our YouTube page for that. Uh, it's youtube.com slash Iconicestra, which is icon, I-Q-U-E-S-T-R-A. Um, we are hopefully going to have some big concerts uh, this year and next year, uh, next season, we're going to tribute you know, another big work. Uh, with Sailor Symphony, we're taking a little bit of a break this year in terms of live concerts, but that'll kick up again in 2019. Uh, but we will be starting our Moon Power uh, fundraiser. Wait. We will be releasing the videos and the album from our fundraiser, successful fundraiser, Moon Power, uh, that'll start in August, maybe September. Um, 
And that's going to be what people have been asking us to do, which is all the transformation music for Sailor Moon and her attack music. So that's going to be a really good weekly video upload. And I think I'm also going to upload some of my musical analyses of the Sailor Moon music, because a lot of people just don't know how great the 90s score was. And I really want to introduce that to them as much as possible. So yeah, just follow us on all our social media and check out our videos, which will start coming more frequently. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time, Bobby. I'll definitely include all of the all of the different social media that you have. So in case anyone's listening to this, in case they didn't catch it, they can just take a look at the show notes. And uh, yeah, you should be able to get at all that. Thank you. Um, and hopefully I will see you around in your plans for world domination, your $2 billion <laughs> successful plan to um, make collaborations with all of the anime fans. Yes, sir. It's going to be a dream come true. It's going to happen. It's going to happen next week. I promise. I promise. <laughs> all right. Well, I will hear from you next week. Thank you again. <laughs> Thanks, Nicholas. <laughs>